Well, welcome everybody. I am back, either to your joy or chagrin or somewhere in between, uh, but uh, uh, glad to be back with the adults. It, it's an interesting thing. I love teaching uh, Bible classes, and I love teaching confirmation class. And so, you know, when I get to go down there, I always look forward to it. And by the time I'm done with that term, I'm really ready to be done with them and be back up here with the adults. Um, and uh, it, it is a very different, uh, different experience. We have just great kids, but uh, the engagement's different. You know, I don't know if you remember this from maybe when you went through confirmation class or some kind of a, um, you know, instruction when you were a kid, but... Uh, for a lot of us, our parents made us do that. Nobody's making you be here this morning. And so there's this voluntary nature to being present and this is something that you want. And that brings a different attitude to how people approach Bible study. And that's, that's a beautiful thing um, and I appreciate it very much. So um, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we can be here today, and I thank and praise you for the people who are gathered here, and I pray that your spirit would rest upon us as we study your word, and that you would help us to grow in the faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, it's been a few months since I've been in here, and the last time I was here, I did start Romans chapter 14, but I suspect that... You don't remember anything that we talked about that day. And that's okay, because the only reason that I do is because I still have the sheet with the notes on them. Uh, and, uh, and so what, what you have in front of you incorporates a lot of that, not all of it. Um, and it also has some additional uh, bits and pieces that I did not have on, on the other one. So if you're like, I remember everything that you said that day. First of all, you're probably lying, but second of all, um, there, there will be some new stuff, and I hope that we will get a little bit further than we did last time um, and, uh, and finish out at least these first 12 verses. So, um, But even before that, it's good to remember um, the, that as we've gone through the book of Romans, there is a, a major overarching theme, um, and that is uh, the righteousness of God. Um, justification is another very important theme through the book. Um, we talk a lot about grace. Um, we talk about the law. We talk about the gospel. We talk about the relationship between Jew and Gentile. That's a big part of that last part of the book that we're, we're reading right now. And, uh, and as we talk about chapter 14, a major part of what we're, we're really focused on is this idea that we are living a life that is different in view of the mercy of God. Those words are very, very important. Um, you know, the first eight chapters of the book are really about righteousness and justification, and it's all about this gift that God has given to us, that we have a, a, a righteousness that comes from the outside. It's Christ's righteousness given to us so that we don't earn our salvation. However, that doesn't mean we sit on our thumbs and do nothing. Um, in view of the mercy of God, our lives are different. And we're being called to live uh, according to God's ways and being transformed by his word. 
uh, literally from chapter 12 again, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That, you know, we would think differently and we would act differently because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's this last half of the book, chapters 9 through 16, really focus on the impact of this new righteousness in the life of faith. 9 through 11, uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, the Jew-Gentile relationship, who is the true Israel, and all of these kinds of things. Um, And then really after chapter 12, into chapter 12, is when we're really getting into this, how do you live as God's people? And you could probably cut chapter 16 off of it because that's a lot of greetings. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend a little time. We'll have a little bit of fun with that one. When we get there, and I'm hopeful because we're at chapter 14. And you know what comes after chapter 14? <coughs> chapter 15. And after chapter 15, then 16. And you know, we'll get there. All right. So chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Paul writes, Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand. Because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it's for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So it starts out with this idea of of, of welcome. That's an important part of our, our lives as Christians. We welcome people as they come. Um, we receive them. Uh, that's another translation of the word. Um, the same word is used here and in chapter 15, verse 7, which says, therefore, welcome and receive one another, just as Christ welcomed or received you to the glory of God. The idea is that we welcome one another because we've been welcomed by Jesus. They've been welcomed by Jesus. We've been welcomed by Jesus. So we welcome one another. Um, and even the one who is weak in faith, it says. Now, it says weak in faith. So he's talking about our fellow believers. You know, we're, we're not all on, on the same 
page on everything. We're not all in the same place of maturity. Um, and some of us might be more mature in some areas and less mature in others. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but people are kind of a mixed bag. You know, and we just, we meet people where they are. Um, and we receive them because there's this different relationship when it comes to people who have faith in Jesus. The scriptures say that we have fellowship um, with, with all believers. And that word fellowship uh, in Greek is the word koinonia. Um, that's that's a, a really important word. Uh, koinonia doesn't just mean fellowship like, you know, we, we stood out there and we sipped some coffee and ate a cookie together. You know, that's fun stuff too. But koinonia actually has this idea of belonging. That we belong not just with each other, but to each other. You know, and that's an important part of being part of the body of Christ. That you know, we're connected to each other in, in a way that uh, it's more than just having similar ideas or similar interests. It's, it's, a, it's a deep connection. It's an important connection that goes beyond this life and looks even ahead into eternity. And it talks about disputed matters. And when it says disputed matters, this, I want to be really clear, this is not about disagreeing with what God's Word says. You know, because sometimes people do that. They, they say, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, I don't care what God's Word says. That's not what Paul is saying at all. But, but he is talking about, there are things even within the faith, that there's a, a range of responses that are good and godly if they're done in faith and they're handled with grace. You know, he, he talks specifically about food, uh, and that's probably food that's been sacrificed to idols. And he also talks about what day uh, we worship on. And both of these are, are matters that there's a pretty heated debate about um, across the history of the church. I really like the uh, catechism's explanation to the first petition of the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, this is really about keeping God's word and keeping God's name holy. Um, remember, the Lord's Prayer, you have an a, a introduction, a conclusion with seven petitions in between. And uh, so we start out, Our Father who art in heaven, introduction, hallowed be thy name. You know, so how do we keep God's name holy is what's being asked here. And it says that God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to, the word of, to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this heavenly Father. So th this is not about, you know, you know, we're disputing um, whether or, or not Christ's body and blood are truly present. Jesus says it is. We're, we're not disputing um, whether we should uh, worship other gods. We have a commandment about that. You know, all, all of these kinds of things. And, uh, it, and we always want to say no more or no less than the scriptures actually say. And so where the scriptures are not very vocal, 
we tend to be very free. And we just, okay. And we just accept people where they're at. I also think that it's important to notice that these disputed matters are items that the scripture does not command a certain behavior or outcome. Consider food. Did the Jewish people have some very uh, strict and well-defined issues around food? Very, very. Um, the Sabbath day, where there's some very strict and clear uh, commands ar around when and where to worship. Yeah, there were. So how, how is it that, uh, um, you know, I know a lot of people have gone from doing turkey on Thanksgiving to having pork roasts, which in some ways is fine with me. I'm not a big turkey fan myself. Um, I, I mean, I will eat it and enjoy it, but, uh, you know, how is it that we get to eat pork? What do you think? Christians, Jesus pork eaters. Yeah. Jesus abolished that rule. Do you remember where? No. Okay. I, I can think of it. I mean, I, Do you remember the story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That he um, uh, said it's not what, what goes in your body and digests what's in your heart. Yeah. So in, in Mark chapter 7, we read about Jesus going through the grain fields with his disciples, and his disciples are picking grain and rubbing it together to get the chaff off it, and they're eating the kernels. Apparently, this is work. You know, just rubbing your hands together. You know, the Pharisees considered that to be work, and that therefore they were unclean hands that were, were doing this. And, uh, and Jesus says, what goes into the body passes through. And Mark has a note in there that says, in saying this, he declares all food clean. He, he, he takes what once was, and he sets it aside. We also have this um, uh, vision in Acts where Peter is up on the roof and God lets down the sheet with all kinds of unclean animals on it and he, he, he's told, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, no way, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice says, don't call you know, unclean what God has made clean. You know, so there, there are these specific things that set aside the, uh, the injunction against eating certain foods, okay? For which, frankly, I'm very grateful. I love myself a good ham sandwich. Um, and uh, corned beef with a nice piece of Swiss, not kosher, just so you know. Um, and that is a, a nice treat to have from time to time. Um, the Sabbath day. The, the same, what's that? Bacon's in the world also. Bacon is, a, you know, there's a story um, and I don't know the veracity, but it's a fun story, so I'll tell it. Um, there was a king in Eastern Europe, and uh, he was trying to consolidate the power of his kingdom, and he thought one of the ways to do that is to consolidate under a single religion. And uh, you know, he basically invited three major leaders of the three um, uh, monotheistic faiths to come and to make their case to him. And uh, you know, the, the Jewish leader came and told them all the benefits of being Jewish, 
Um, but then also mentioned that there would be, be this circumcision thing and, uh, and you can't eat you know, pork and certain other things. And, and Muslim leader came and same type of presentation, you know, and you can't do this and you can't do that. And the story goes that the Christian leader just walks in and says, you can have ham. And the guy's like, you. <laughs> now, I, I doubt that it was that crass, but, uh, um, but yeah, yeah th th that's how the story goes. And, uh, I've been one of the final seven points. Huh? Exactly, yeah. The Sabbath day also. Uh, Mark chapter 7 again talks about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the Sabbath is not about the day, it's about the attitude of the heart, and it's about you know, being gathered around God's word and hearing the word and receiving God's gifts. And we know that it was the church that moved from worshiping on Saturday, which is properly the Sabbath, to Sunday. And do, do you remember why they did that? Because that was when Jesus was resurrected. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't just that the temple was available for rent on you know, Sunday morning because they'd already done their Saturday thing. Um, they, they actually gathered on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose. And what could be more important and what could connect us more closely to God than the fact that Christ has died and risen for us? And so that became you know, the, the focus of, of their worship. So that um, even now, when we celebrate church on Sunday, it's because it's Easter. You know, even during the season of Lent, you know, that we talk about Lent being 40 days, grab your calendar when you go home, and um, you know, we, we have two holy days that come together this year. Um, uh, February 14 is Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday. Very romantic. Um, and, uh, but if you count from there to Easter, you're going to come up with more than 40 days. It's because Sundays don't count. Sundays are Easter, no matter where they are in the, the church here. You know, we're always celebrating the resurrection. Um, and, and so, you know, God's commands on these topics were changed in light of Jesus' coming and his revelation of the kingdom of God and his clear word. This wasn't just a, I feel like this should change, so we're going to change it. Now, this is, this is something that is significantly different than um, some of the controversies that we deal with today where church bodies are saying that homosexuality is okay or you know, different sexual behaviors and, and the like are okay? Because Jesus has not set those aside. You know, people will say, uh, Jesus has said nothing about you know, homosexuality. And is that a true statement? Read the Gospels. Did Jesus ever say anything about homosexuality? No, he did not. Did he have to? Has his father said anything about it? Yes. Yes. And is he going to disagree with his father? No. no. So for the thing to change, it can't be he didn't say anything. For it to change, he has to have said something. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the 
Because this is one of the things that people will do sometimes. Well, you Christians are such hypocrites. Why, why do you eat ham? Why do you eat pork? You know, if you believe this. It's because Jesus has specifically set these things aside, and he did not specifically set that aside. Now, should we treat homosexuality as a different kind of sin than any other sexual sin? No, we should not. Did Christ die to pay for the sins of homosexuals? Yes, yes he did. And so we want to live as people who extend that grace and forgiveness to all people. And, you know, so just to be clear about that, because it's something that comes up from time to time. He says that the one who eats must not look down on or despise the one who does not. Um, the one who eats must not judge the one um, who, uh, uh, who does eat. Um, this, this, this is one of the problems that we often face as Christians. Uh, some of you know that a couple weeks ago I went to a conference uh, with doxology, um, learning about being a curer of souls. And uh, um, the, the man who is the, uh, the head of like, spiritual development for that organization is a, a pastor by the name of David Fleming. And I think the world of David Fleming. And the, the first time that, that I went to doxology with him, with him, and, and I was learning from him, um, it, it really hit me. I've actually known David Fleming for about 25 years, or at least known of him. He's from Grand Rapids, Michigan. The first 13 years of my ministry, I was in Lake Orion, Michigan. And when, you know, the Michigan district would gather, um, you know, he and I would both be there. Um, Pastor Fleming, uh, he is a very liturgical guy. Um, you probably would never see him without one of these collars on. I get to a context where there's other pastors, and I'm just like, you know, get me in a t-shirt and jeans. I don't need to, you know, show my bona fides. You know, I, I don't care to be impressive because I'm not, uh, and all of these types of things. And... Um, and he and I had a really nice talk um, how pastors will separate from one another based on, do you wear this all the time? <clears throat> do you do the liturgy right out of the hymnal every Sunday? Do you wear the proper vestments? Do you bow at the right times? The right <clears throat> times? Those, those are scare quotes. And you know what? He do. Because pastors are sinners, just like everybody else. And, uh, and when I was talking with him, he, he, he says to me something to the effect of, why are, why are some guys so bothered by the fact that some of us wear clerical garb all the time? And, uh, and I, I said, it's because some guys give the impression that because they do that there, and he, he just gasps. He goes, oh. <laughs> that they think that they're better than everybody else. And, and I was like, yeah. You know, and he's like, oh. and you thought, I'm like, yeah, sorry, Dave, please forgive me. 
because you, you'll never meet a more humble man than, than David Fleming. Um, not even Moses. Um, that, you know what that reference is? In the book of Deuteronomy, it says you know, how humble Moses was. I always get a kick out of that. Uh, anyhow, um, we have this, this sinful desire to look down on one another. And this passage really, it, it says, no, don't. Receive people where they're at. Love them where they're at. That doesn't mean you leave them there necessarily. You know, you speak the truth in love, but you receive them, and you care for them, and you trust God to bring about transformation in them if transformation is necessary. Which, by the way, that statement has a corollary, that we trust God to bring about transformation in us if it's necessary, right? That the Holy Spirit is working in us through the Word and the sacraments. Most of us are very eager to, to, to help others see the error of their ways. But if you want to tell me about the error of my ways, thank you for home. Right. Right. So, you know, God welcomes and receives sinners. And to that we say, thank, thank you, Jesus. Be pretty lonely in the beginning. Yeah. You'd be all by yourself, Kathy. <laughs> the rest of us would be, be left out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Excuse me. In verse 4, um, I, I, the, the question that, that Paul asks is very pointed. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In other words, he's saying, who do you think you are? You know, we, we learn to see ourselves and, and one another as people who are accepted by God. So how does that happen? How do we start to see each other as people who are accepted by God? And I think, I think that um, kind of a sacramental framework, um, a means of grace framework is, is helpful here. We believe that nobody comes to faith on their own power, but that the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens Christians. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What do dead people do? Nothing. That's our, that's our natural spiritual state apart from Jesus. But then his word comes and his spirit breathes life into us. I love the image from Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. You know, there's flesh. You know, the bones are there and he speaks and there's flesh, but there's no life. And he speaks the word of God to them and the spirit comes and breathes into them. That, that's us. That the spirit has breathed into us and created faith in us to live this new life in Jesus. And if we look at each other all through that lens... That's a really good starting place. And then to see ourselves, you know, as people who have been baptized, and baptism not being something that we choose for ourselves, but something that Christ has, has said, you know, if you're my disciple, you will be baptized. Because 
it's there that he gives certain gifts. You know, he gives forgiveness, he gives life, he gives salvation uh, through the waters of baptism. Those are gifts that we've received. We stand on the same footing. We're people with the same word that's been preached to us. We're people who have had faith created in us and also sustained in us. Because that's part of what the Lord's Supper is for. We come forward and we receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And where there's forgiveness of sins, there is life. There's salvation. And and this is all strengthening us to, to walk this walk, to live this life. And ultimately, it's to his own master that each stands and falls. And there are things that it doesn't matter which way you go. There are. And that's where you really get into trouble. And that takes wisdom. Because if you don't do it the way that I do it, then you're clearly wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that tends to be the attitude that we have. Because it's strange and it's foreign or it's, you know... And if I say you're right, then that makes it sound like I'm wrong and I am not wrong, thank right. you very much. And, and some of this, um, some of this is very, very cultural. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've been on several mission trips to Haiti. Uh, Haiti is a uh, um, African, uh, you know, population largely. Very, very few um, uh, European people, you know, European descent remain there. Um, they're, they're almost all slaves and, uh, you know, the descendants of slaves. Um, and a little bit of descendants from some of the indigenous people that were there. And frankly, it, they've been intermarried and, you know, children, it, it's, the, the whole mix is there. Um, and uh, I, there's a woman down there, and if you looked at her profile, like a silhouette, you know, she looks like a very, uh, very pretty French woman, and her skin is about as dark as you can imagine. You know, it, it, somewhere in, in, her, in her ancestry, there's, you know, there's some French there. And, um, but, uh, uh, you know, you have this, this, this nation that you have this Caribbean, vibe about it, this African culture that has you know, influenced this uh, European culture that has influenced it. And um, we, in, at least in the Missouri Synod, are these uh, German Lutherans. And uh, um, some of their pastors came up to Concordia Fort Wayne and they were trained there. And some of them, they went back and they incorporated the doctrine into the culture. You know, so they would sing songs to melodies that were very Caribbean. And uh, the first pastor that I knew down there, he was, he was of that mold. And, uh, you know, you would go and the, the worship services were very lively. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a revival or not, but I would put this right on the same level in terms of the energy and, 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 and you know, people dancing in the pews and, and everything. And here I am, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. Which, you know, at the end of the day, who cares if I'm comfortable with this, right? Because the word of God is being proclaimed. And, you know, and this is their church, not mine. That pastor died. And uh, the pastor that replaced him is another Haitian pastor. 
And he uh, was very heavily influenced uh, by professors who said, this is the right way to do worship. And so the next time I went down there, I sat through the worship service and they were trying to sing these, these German hymns in French. And I recognized every piece of the liturgy, you know, and, and I, I was right there with them. But it just, it didn't feel right in the culture, if that makes sense. You know, there, there are parts of, of our life that, that it, it doesn't matter, you know. Now, I, I'm thinking about music now. Um, is there music that might be inappropriate, you know, in a, in a worship service? Mm -hmm. I think you can make an argument, yes. You know, because in a worship service, you want music that helps to draw people together, that helps to proclaim God's word, has to be understandable, all, all of those kinds of things. Um, but I think you could make an argument that some of the hymns that are in the hymnal are pretty hard to sing, and they are kind of hard to understand, you know, even when we try to sing them together. You know, and if you're coming from a background that's never sung hymns, that can be a really foreign experience. You know, and just kind of thinking those things through and, and saying, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to put both my feet down too hard on this because, you know, God's at work in this. You know, is the word being proclaimed? Are the sacraments being delivered? Are people learning of Jesus' forgiveness and salvation? Those, those are kind of at the, the heart of the matter. And then you, you can go out from there. And, and, you know, for my friends who are like, the liturgy is a rich history. It's a rich gift that has been passed on to us. I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I would be very comfortable doing, you know, right out of the hymnal every Sunday. I, I would be absolutely fine with that myself. But it's not the only way. You know, it's time-tested, and that's good. But it's also an outline. Are there other ways to confess your sins than, you know, the, than the way that we do it every Sunday? The whole, you know, um, you know if, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Yeah, do you have to say that every Sunday? No, but I have. Yeah. You know, and the whole, you know, I confess I have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and, you know, just, you know, you get me started, I can rattle that off. Um, and there are benefits to that too, right? It's so ingrained. You know, there, there are benefits to that. But are those the only words that we can use to confess sins? No. Um... We stick pretty tight with the, the creeds because those have been passed down and those are statements that are clear. Um, but there is a, uh, an ancient uh, song of the church called the Te Deum. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much a confession of faith and I would be pretty comfortable using that in the place of the creeds. It says all the right things. Maybe we can use it along with. And well, nobody has to give up anything. It, yeah, and, and we'll have our four-hour worship service. And uh, <laughs> is, am I making sense? Of course. When we come to the Lord's Supper, can we just change the words then in terms of the words of institution? 
No, those are Jesus' words. We're just, no, we're not changing that. This, we, you know, we're, we're doing the thing that Jesus said to do, and we're going to do it the way that he said to do it. You know, there are things that you know, we're not going to get rid of, and there are other things that, you know, okay, let's just kind of relax on this a little bit. But then you get to the people who want to do it in the original language. Well, if you want that, I can. <laughs> There's always something that complicates things. Yeah. Well, and, and frankly, you know, there's translation that's involved, too, even from English to English. Uh -huh. um, in 1984, uh, the Missouri Synod uh, adopted a new hymnal. It's called Lutheran Worship. And uh, um, they presented a modern translation of the Lord's Prayer and a modernized translation of the creeds. And uh, well, people, some people were just over the moon, excited, and other people were absolutely livid. And in my experience, the, the, the translations in the creed have stuck. They're more understandable. We, don't, we no longer say uh, the quick and the dead in, in, in there, although every once in a while I do hear it coming out of the congregation. You know, somebody, they're, they're doing it from their heart language, and that's, that I, I've done it too. Um, and, uh, um, and yet the Lord's Prayer, yeah. If we were to start out, you know, Father in heaven, we pray your name will be holy. I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. And I think some of that is sentimental. And not wrong. Sentiment's not wrong. You know, this is the way my parents prayed the prayer. My grandparents prayed it. And I prayed it for the first 75 years of my life. And, but to be honest my great-grandparents probably did not. They probably did it in German. Uh -huh. You know, but there is like this heritage. And I think that that's important to be connected to the saints that, go be that went before us. Um, and the, the verse ends, uh, oh, uh, there, an, another, uh, another uh, bit of wisdom on this. You know, we're gonna trust um, our brothers and sisters into God's hands. And uh, I was at a conference not too long ago, and the pastor was giving a presentation, and, and he was talking about pastors complaining about what's happening in other people's churches. And he says, I have a bit of wisdom for you. Not your circus, not your monkeys. <laughs> and it really fits with this. It's kind of a mind your own business. Trust God is at work. It doesn't mean you don't care about what's you know, happening there. It doesn't that you don't care about doctrine or any of those things. But it's saying that there are, there are some things that there's there's some flexibility here and freedom. And ultimately, the Lord will be the one who establishes those of us who stand or fall. Um, and, and that leaves a lot of room to be patient with our fellow believers who hold different views on matters uh, for which God has never given clear instruction or command. There's freedom in the gospel. Um, there are certain matters in which we, we should not bind people's consciences, but live in grace. You know, um, yeah, I'll, I'll move on from there. Um, so seven and eight, um, we are the Lord's, we belong to the Lord, and so we strive to live to the Lord, not to ourselves. This is an exhortation to shun sin, but it's also a reminder that Everything has changed because of our relationship with Jesus. 
in his death and his resurrection. Our relationship to the world is genuinely different because of Jesus. You know, going back to that passage I've already cited from Romans chapter 12, you know, in view of the mercies of God. Because of the mercy that you have received from God, we're different. We're shaped by God and his word, not by the world. And he says, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, if we live or we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. Um, is the use of that possessive, the Lord's, important here? Why? Well, we're his creation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's, so those are two ways that we belong to him. The fact that he created us, and not only did he create us, he redeemed us. Um, I love that word redeem. It's, a, uh, it's an economic word, right? Buy back. Yeah. So there's a big connection. We're people who are marked with his name. What do they call people who follow Jesus? Christians. Christians, yeah. What's the first few letters of that spell? Christ. You know, um, you know, we're followers of Jesus Christ. His name is on us in our baptism. We're fed by his body and blood. You know, this, this, we are the Lord's. You know, he, he, he takes possession of us. So when might we use this passage administering to others and even maybe to ourselves? Does my question make sense? My wife tells me sometimes I ask questions and they're like, what was that even about? <laughs> looking at verses 7 and 8 where it says none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself if we live we live to the Lord if we die we die to the Lord so then whether we live or we die we are the Lord's when might we use that passage when we're dealing with other people caring for them helping them ministering to them or even to ourselves times of suffering yeah it's important to remember when we suffer, yeah. Sometimes we need to hear things like that when everything's going great for us because we think that it happened because I did that or didn't do this and so, and people need to know that it's not me, God did it and it, he has his own. Yep, it can be a corrective. Yeah. Yep. What else? Think about my brother when he was dying. It's a, it's a win-win situation. Yep. Which is that passage. Yeah. And you I, think about people in any situation, whether they're homeless or suffering loss or maybe they're lost and they don't know God, they're all his creations. And how we approach them should be to remember that one thing. They have that grace should be giving them that and taking that step forward to, uh, to show that love. Yeah. 
and show the love. We don't start off with somebody preaching to them because it's meaningless to them. You have to live it, and somewhere along the line, they're going to say, how do you do that? Why do you do that? And then you've got your opening. Yeah, that is one of the things that I often think of when they when people will talk about evangelism strategies and such, um, you know, which I think can be very helpful and useful. You know, if you if you know what you're going, if you have a, a plan when you come and talk with people, but I also think that evangelism can be as simple as uh, you know we're having a beer together and uh, you tell me about you know something that's going on in your life, and I tell you about God's promises. You know, and maybe even pray for you at that moment. That's that's a form of evangelism too. And I didn't have to do anything to bring it about. And that's one of the things I love about that style of evangelism, is because it usually meets people where they're at. It, it tends to be part of a relationship rather than, you know, just. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with kind of a more controversial or. Um, Confrontational, thank you. Uh, I, I speak for a living, words. Uh, <laughs> a confrontational style of, uh, of evangelism, I'm, you know, that works for some people. Um, I just, for me, a lot of times, if I'm in a relationship with somebody and we have the opportunity to talk, that, that really, you know, that's where I find those opportunities a lot. Um, I want to think about this idea of... Um, if we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Uh, also in terms of grieving. Uh, when somebody that we love has died. There's very much a feeling in this life that when somebody dies, they're gone. And in a sense, they're missing from our lives, right? But they're with the Lord. And do you know who else is with the Lord? You are. And there is an old tradition in the church, and this is, you heard the word tradition, right? So this is a, a not right or, or wrong thing. Where do you put the altar in the church? In the middle, up front. Some people, they, they're like, it should be in the middle. Some people want it up front. Should it be connected to the wall, or should there be space to get in behind it? Yes. Correct. Um, you know, but, but, I mean, there are big, big debates about whether the altar should be against the wall, you know, or if it you pulled out like what we have. Both are matters of Christian freedom. If you pull it out from the wall, it's easier to clean. That's true. Um, that's a matter of practicality. <coughs> but I'm going to, you know, make it, and not an argument, because I, I actually don't want to change anything that's in there. Uh, but uh, uh, maybe a, a point that might be good about having the altar connected to the wall. You know, so if you think about the altar kind of in a circular fashion, and you got the altar right there, and you come to the altar to receive the Lord's Supper, and you're standing there, and you, know, you go through, this is the body, this is the blood. What's going on the other side of that circle? <laughs> Does the end of the church just kind of the end of, it, the, of, of our you know, Christian life? Because you know, part of the liturgy says with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify you. I want to encourage you to think about that experience of the Lord's Supper as not just a me and Jesus moment, but, and not just a me and my brothers and sisters who are members of Gloria Day moment, but a me and the church moment. 
and to think about what's happening there almost like a circle that on the other side of that wall where I can't go to deliver are the people who have been receiving the body and blood of the Lord and they have now been translated into that glorious feast and they still celebrate Jesus' promises and his blessings and they live in the fullness of his glory. I think that that's a moment where the worlds are thin, so to speak, where heaven touches earth and kind of pokes through and we have fellowship not just with one another, not just with you know, the people who are at church, but you have fellowship with Jesus, which means that you have fellowship with grandma and grandpa. For me, I think of my dad, Chris's dad, her grandpa. You know, for me, heroes of the faith. And they're there in this feast. And they receive it a bit differently because they're actually at the table. And we're there too. And we just don't see it as clearly as they see what's going on there. Whether we live or die, we belong to Jesus. So for this reason, Christ died and lived for, so that the dead and the living might be uh, the Lord's. Uh, uh, he might be the Lord. He might be the master, the ruler of the living and the dead. And again, he asks these questions. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you disdain or despise your brother? Because it's what we do. <laughs> Sometimes it is jealousy. I think sometimes it's also an Eighth Commandment issue. Um, uh, remember from the Catechism, the explanation of the Eighth Commandment, um, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, we should fear and love God so that we do not um, um, tell lies or slander our neighbor. But uh, it, it now it says explain everything in the kindest way. But when I was growing up, it was put the best construction on everything. <laughs> How often do we, you know, explain things in ways that are not kind? What's wrong with that person? Why would they choose to do that? Are they messed up in the head or something? Well, we've been taught that there's one right answer. So if they're doing it differently from us, one of us is wrong. And we don't realize that in many situations there are 173 right answers. But if you're wrong, does that make you wicked? <clears throat> Not necessarily. No. And that's something that I think we do a lot. You know, that we, we assign, you know, like a moral inferiority to people. It's more fun. It is fun, actually. <laughs> it's like only one way they're doing it, and we think of all these other things they could. It's there you go. You know, so all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. Um, maybe you've heard the word bima before, the bima seat. Um, that's, uh, that's the word that's used here. It's the same word that um, is used to uh, talk about where Pilate sat when he condemned Jesus or when he washed his hands. You know, it's, it's a judgment seat. It's a place for this official action of condemning or you know, justifying somebody. And we all stand before the, the judgment seat. You know, and God is the judge. 
And what is his judgment? What's his judgment on you? If you believe in Christ and you believe in the Father the way you're supposed to, then your judgment is you're okay going So it depends on what you do? In a way, but not really because Jesus did it. Yes. And we accept it as our own. Yes. Uh, and in, even the acceptance of it is a gift that he has given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So the, the judgment that's on you is your sins are forgiven. The judgment on you is paid in full, right? That to tell us die, um, it is finished thing from the cross, that's the judgment on you. Now the way you receive that is through faith. Jesus died to pay for the sins of all people. And that's the great sad irony of, of this. You know, people who go to hell literally have to crawl over Jesus' dead body to get there. Reject the gift that he has given. Um, in verse 11, it says, uh, um, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Um, remember uh, that uh, uh, as I live, as God lives, um, in Exodus chapter 3, he introduces himself to Moses as I am who I am. It's not a, a, a statue of a God. He is the God who is. And uh, uh, in Isaiah chapter 45, verse uh, 23, that's the passage that's being uh, cited here. By myself I have sworn, truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. So each one of us will give an account, literally a word, um, uh, concerning his or herself to God. And that's, that's, the, that's the judgment day. What all of our lovely readings are here at the end of the church year, um, these really challenging Old Testament scriptures about the day of the Lord. You know, like I mentioned last week, you know, people read that passage from Amos and they're like, well, what's the good news in this? There isn't any. It's all law. You know, and that's how a lot of times people will view the judgment day. There is no hope. Except that Christ has intervened. And, uh, and this account that we will make of our lives, it is not the criteria for whether we will enter into the new creation. Jesus is the criteria that gets us into heaven and brings us into the resurrection. He's the reason that we will live after death. So, wrapping up, I've gone over. Well, welcome back. Um, uh, what is one insight, one word of comfort, one challenging idea that you hope to hold on to from these verses? And how will the lessons that you learn from these verses impact your faith life? Take some time and think about that. There's one thing that, that for me personally, it was the realization that Jesus did uh, go to the cross for everyone. Um, because I, for the longest time, I didn't think that he went to the cross until I, but he didn't go to the cross for me until I was a believer. Uh -huh. and, and now to recognize that yeah. he went to, to the cross for everybody, yeah. 
just calling them to him. Yeah. Even before their Yeah, it's not an uncommon, you know, belief. Yeah, that was yeah, it was a that was a, one of my epiphany moments. <laughs> yeah, that it's for everyone. Yeah. That's a good that's a good epiphany. Yeah. All right, folks, we have a church service to get to. It's a good one. Unless unless you went to early service. You want something for me? What's that? Would you please make sure that Ellen gets one? I already have. Okay, good. 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 Thank you. All right, let's go to church. God's blessings, everybody. Thank you.